cause and to the work of the Lord in our fellowship. It's good to be among great men. And it's good to be among men who love God, love truth. And I have been treated extremely kind ever since I've got here. I mean, they picked me up right at the airport. Young man, Scott, just gave me a bodyguard right on the top, brought me in here. And then he's been uh, taking us around here and there. And um, it has been a pleasure. We give honor also to all the ministers here and to the District of Indiana, to other ministers from other states, the steering committee. Um, everybody, whoever, is responsible for me being here. I do appreciate it. I do not take an invitation to speak anywhere lightly. There's a lot of great preachers in our fellowship. I don't even think I measure up with that crowd, but I am glad to be here. Glad you're here. I never did like to get up and preach. Nobody show. I don't feel good. <laughs> you can take it personal, you know. <laughs> so we're glad you're here. And we are glad the Lord is here. Little boy prayed one night, God bless mama, and God, I want you to take care of daddy, and God, whatever you do, take care of you. If anything happens, you all going to be in a mess. So we're glad the Lord's here. This is a great program, Mid-America Revival Conference, things designed to provoke us to good works, to help us achieve and fulfill the purpose and the call of God. young lady one time talked to her pastor, and she was kind of getting up there at that point, and nobody yet had proposed to her, and neither had she proposed anybody. And so she was getting at that point a little worried, and she explained it to the pastor. He said, well, God's got a program. Uh, there is uh, one woman for one man, one man for one woman, and that's the program. And you can't improve on it. Well, she said, I wouldn't really want to improve on it. I'm trying to get in on it. <laughs> so uh, we're here not to improve on what God's doing. Hey? Anybody here? We want to get in on what God is doing. And God wants to incorporate us into his work in a great measure. Great ministry last night. Thank God for preaching and the presentation of his word and the great ministry today. Brother Fielder presenting to us the most important piece of material for us is prayer. If everybody in the last 40 years had prayed as they should, we would be farther today than where we are right now. But we can do that, but we can from this point on do what has to be done. Would you lift your hands one more time before I read a scripture? Ask the Lord to bless his ministry, bless our hearts to receive. In the I'm very, very sad to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't want you to get towed. If you are parked in the television station, which is directly across the street on this side, in the last three spots, if you suspect you might be there, it's a fire lane. They will be forced to tow you, so please, if you're there, take care of it. All right, thank you. In the book of First Samuel, would you stand with me, please? In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I rejected him? 
from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Now just over a couple of verses, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I want to talk to you on this. The mark features of a man of God. Let's ask the Lord, before you're seated, please help our minds to absorb, to absorb, to absorb, to absorb, to absorb the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, touch our minds, our hearts to absorb today. Let our minds saturate. Give us that something, that skill and ability to hold to your word. In Jesus' precious name. You may be seated. It is clearly understood that God has established and did establish David as a man of God. Classed as a man after God's own heart. He was a man whom after the Lord had set aside his choice of Saul. The anointing remained. The position remained. But God no longer dealt or used Saul to achieve his purpose and his plan in the life of Israel. And so David was clearly marked as a man of God. And there are several features that identify David, this particular man, and I would like to approach that today and help us to understand that if we want to be the people of God, there are certain qualities that has to be within our lives. And there would be no reason for us not to want to be the people of God. We are called, we are inspired, we're filled, we have his name, we bear his name. In the book of Genesis, the Bible said that to the concubines of Abraham, their children, he gave them gifts. But unto his son Isaac, he gave everything. So it's a fact, a lot of religious people in our world got a lot of gifts from God. There's some been baptized with the Spirit, some have testimonies of healing, but we're not in that crowd. We are the children. We have everything. God has revealed to us His Word, the revelation of His truth, His name, His power, and His blood. So there automatically is incumbent upon us a certain level of attainment and certain things that we have to do in order to be the effective people of the Lord. You see, a man can be filled with the Spirit of God and never really be effective in his walk and his relationship with the Lord. St. Luke 4 said, Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit, verse 18. There is a difference in the fullness of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. The Fullness means that the Holy Ghost controls you. The power of His Spirit means that He's actually doing a work in you and through you. So we want to submit ourselves to an understanding of our particular place and role to the purpose 
and to the call of God. One of the most unique qualities about David was this. David was a man who made room in his life for God to put men there to impact him, to bring him to whatever dimension, relationship, and walk with God he needed to achieve or be at. Any man that's going to be effective in our world today has to open up his life to let God, not friends, we all got friends, but we're not talking about friends. We're talking about giving room in our lives for people that God would put there that could impact us and could move us and to escort us in the places we need to be. The Lord told Elijah, you've got a long journey and you've got a long ways to go and ravens come to feed him to prepare him for this great journey. No man is going to go where God wants him to go alone. No man will be able to form his character, his, his life, his dimension, and orchestrate and structure his ministry where it can be everything that God wants it to be. Everybody here is going to have to allow themselves to open up and make room in their lives for that somebody whom God moves into your life and is there to impact you and to make you that effective person for the Lord. You need a guide. You need inspiration. You need direction. We have Bible college young people here. You will never be what you need to be just being in a Bible college and coming out with a sense of a Bible knowledge. There are men that God uses to impact our lives, to structure our lives, to feed into us certain things that helps us have a balance. No man should only have friends that is a duplicate of himself. We do not need to duplicate our ministry. We need to shape it, to be impacted, to be motivated, to be led, and to be inspired by other men whom God brings into our lives. Joseph was not a good friend of Pharaoh, but he was the man God put in Pharaoh's life to save all of Egypt. It's not your friends we're dealing with today. There comes a time that you open your world up to someone you may not even know. You've never eaten with them, never been with them. But God has placed them in your world, in your life, to make an impact in your life. David, David's greatness did not begin because he killed a giant, a lion, and a bear. His great beginning began when a man of God touched him and anointed his head. And when he was touched by a man, before that moment, you know nothing of David. You know no psalm he sang or wrote. You know no instrument. You know no feat. You know no event. You know nothing of David until a man of God touched his life with the holy anointing of the Lord. And David knew my life must have room for every man of God that God would put in into my life. There was room for Nathan in his life. There was room for Samuel in his life. Ahimelech the priest. There was room for uh, Jonathan in his life. Anybody that could be used of God, that could step into his life and make an impact upon his life. Everybody say amen. I'm talking to you today. You got to open up. Our world gets too small. We get insecure. We get nervous. We get uncomfortable. We're distrusting. We've got to eliminate that element. We've got to open ourselves up. There's people in our fellowship and in our world today that could bring us to an impacting position in the kingdom of the Lord. Everybody say praise God. 
When David needed food or he needed a sword, he went to the house of God and had talked to the priest. When David was running from Saul, he was nervous, he was afraid. He went to Samuel said, I don't know what to do. When David was falling and fell into sin, ah, oh, he got himself. David was the man who wrote about mercy, sang about mercy, talked about mercy, shown mercy. But he never had to have mercy until this day. God sent somebody into his life this day and say, David, there was a man who had a lot of sheep another man who had one sheep and the man with one sheep was suffering because the man with many captured the one slew it made a feast for a guest traveler and David said that man should die but before he dies he should pay fourfold and all of a sudden the man of God in his life said you are the man you have done that immediately David's mind captures a thousand photos a thousand sights of a woman bathing of a man dying on a battlefield and then he said I, I, have, I have sinned this was a man that always had room for other men of God in his life and when it came time, he, he would have never knew mercy. If David would have shut that man out, he would have had a dead kingdom. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God, help me. Let somebody speak to me that will bring me to a place. You have to have that. It just has to be that way. It's not always comfortable, but it has to be that way. Look at Saul. There was no room in Saul's life for a man to touch him. David was the first to go. Samuel was, pardon me, Samuel the first to go. And the scripture I read, and, and, and after Saul's failure, he never saw Samuel again. Never. Eighteen years. No Samuel in his life. And then he heard him sing about David. And he put David on the run. The world shrinks. And then when uh, Jonathan began to speak about David, he said, Don't you know that as long as the son of Jesse shall live, you can't be king? I've never thought about being king. No, no that's not my place. And then Saul throws a javelin. And then Jonathan is out of his life. And then a priest comes. And he said, all of you have worked against me. And then they're slain. Now we have a man at the end of life. You know who's in his life to impact him? A witch and a dead prophet. That's all that's left. Your world can shrink so fast. You can be out of touch with men of God so quick. You can get dreams that are not of God because the great, the right, and the wrong is always on a thin line. You can get so far into God that you can get out of God so fast. But if there's somebody there that can impact your life, thank God for men. Thank God for righteous men. You need to make room in your life. That's right. This guy's too liberal. This guy's too conservative. He's radical. He's wild. We get through labeling, we soon just reduce ourselves to nothing 
but what we get from Willow Creek and everywhere else. I am not opposed to leadership seminars. I practice, do that in my own church, seek materials. That helps me only in structure and behavior. But the thing that makes the spiritual impact of my life is not what I get everywhere else, but it's just the few men that you set at a table and you start eating. And he says this, and he says this. There are many ministers' wives in this conference. You have nobody in your world. We have saints in this conference that God places a pastor in your world to impact you. And the response of people is, well, I understand what he's saying, but the way I see it, that's not good. God puts people, places them in your life to impact you. You will never be what you need to be until there's other men that has impacted you. They may not be conference speakers. And all you got to do to be a conference speaker is speak at a conference. So it's not that. It's somebody whom the Lord will move and set in. Sometimes they may come through your life for a week, a month, a year, or a lifetime. But you gotta, you got to make room to make room everybody say praise God I would like to make mention of of another quality of David that is relative to what I'm saying about talking about today is this the second mark feature of a man of God is in 2nd Samuel 8 and David defeated the Philistines and then David went to war with the Moabites and he defeated them and then he did this. He laid him down. And he laid a lion out and he marked one. Then he laid another one out and he marked. And he kept walking through. Measure this man. Measure this man. Measure this man. Measure this man. When they got through, he said, what, 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 what do we do now? He said, well, those that measure this way, they die. Those that measure this way, they live. I will keep them alive. Now what he was saying was this. This man I have fought in war with before. We have fought before. And I know the quality of soldier he is. Though I have captured and conquered him, he break his sword, kneel before me. He will pledge his allegiance to me. He will bring me gifts. He will serve me. He is a man of integrity. Though he be my enemy, I can convert him. But this man is a street rogue. He's a, he's a Mike Tyson. He's a fighter. He's a gutter rat. The moment I turn my back, he'll slice my throat and everybody in the camp... He must die. Now, the quality of a man of God is this. You must discern in your life what should live and what should die. If you're not careful, you will let the wrong thing live and the right things die. You say, huh, it can happen very easy. Look at Saul. What kind of man is it that would raise up a giant killer and then try to kill him and bring back an Agag who was a butchering bum? How can you get so disconnected and disoriented? How can you get in a position that you would kill what God wants alive and you would, and you would let die or you would destroy uh, something else and then you would, you would try to keep alive that which God says has no place. It's got to go. 
Anyone who lives for God today will be assaulted and assailed every day with difficulties, attitudes, spirits, forces in our world and in our life. The Apostle Paul said we stand in jeopardy every hour. This is not a yearly thing we're talking about. This is a fighting man's religion. This is a fighting man's church. You got to have some fight in you to be a child of God. Come on, this is not a sissy man's religion. You don't get into this thing by accepting Christ, getting a bumper sticker, and then that's it. No, this is a fight. This is a war. This is a struggle. You got to develop an appetite for struggle. It's a fight man's religion. There's a war going on. I'm going to tell you what. To live for God today takes guts and courage. You young folks, when you see people in the world and they make fun of you how you walk with God, you're not walking for God because you're a sissy and a weakling. You're a man, you're a woman, you got guts, you got courage. When everybody else is flowing with the crowd, we've got young folks today that's turned the other way and said, No way! That's for me in my house. We're going to serve God. We're going to live for God. We're going to walk with God. It takes courage to kill some things. It takes courage. Sometimes you have to draw a sword out and just come to some things in your life has to die. It doesn't have to be discovered. Don't wait till someone catches you. Just tend to it. It ought to die. Things has to live. You make them live. You want revival? You make your church alive. Make it alive. We're going to sing tonight. We're going to shout tonight. I don't feel... We don't care how we feel. We have come to magnify. We're going to do it tonight. It's the right thing to do. We're going to keep it alive. When you, when you get through criticizing every positive report about a move of God around the world, you got a loose dagger. You're spilling good blood. You're wasting valuable time. Do you believe all them people get the Holy Ghost? I don't believe all those folks we got in our church has the Holy Ghost as far as that goes. We got a lot of backslid carnal folks among us. Hey, let's get off the kick, ladies and gentlemen. It's a time to feed it. You having a revival, stay with it. You're having a move of God, good. You shouting the victory, go with it. You love God, keep loving God. You got prayer meeting going, go ahead, pray. Somebody got filed out, so what? Keep praying, keep working. You keep it up, you keep doing You got to keep it alive. It'll die on you. In Revelations, he said this, chapter 3. Sardis, you have a name, you're dead, and there's things that has died, and there's some things about to die. Strengthen those things. Put some life in them. The Bible said, rejoice with them that rejoice. Huh? Now, weep with them that weep. Now, it's easier to weep with folks that weep than it is to rejoice with folks that rejoice. 
Huh? I'm going through it. I'm going through it. I'm having great revival. Well, you know, if you're not careful, it's easier to weep with them that weep than I've lost my audience. It's easy to rejoice. Not as much. You got to keep it alive. You want a revival church? You keep it alive. You keep people singing. We don't feel like we sing anyway. We don't feel like praising. We praise anyway. Nothing to do with how you feel. It's what you know. I don't praise God on what I feel. I don't feel a lot of things. I don't always feel like preaching. I don't always feel like shouting. It ain't what I feel. It's what I know. I know in whom I have believed. That he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got to get rid of the feeling. It's nothing to do with feeling. It's nothing to do with feeling. It's what you do that's right, 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 right. You just have to know each day in your life when attitudes crop up, you have to take the courage. You've got to die. You're going to die. I, I have uh, had the experience of having attitudes in my life that wasn't right. I only have them a couple of times a day. Huh? And sometimes you get down to pray and you want to be like Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, which kind? The miracle working Jesus or the cross dying Jesus? Oh, the miracle working. But sometimes death is there. Attitudes must die. Jealousies must die. Resentment must die. Don't be intimidated. I've always, as a child, all the way up till I was 54, that was in May, have always been afraid of dogs. And one morning I got up, went out on early in the morning, went to the front to the mailbox, got a long driveway, then around the front, and got the newspaper. The weather was so nice. I come down the driveway, went around the backyard, and was just kind of walking, looking at the paper. And I was going to sit on the back deck to read the paper early in the morning, cool, refreshing. And all of a sudden there was a dog on my back porch. And he raised a Well, I know dog language. I understand dog language. And I knew immediately the interpretation thereof. And the hair on my neck, I was, oh my God, on my back porch. And I back easy. And I stopped, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, that's my back porch. What is he doing on my back porch? I looked around, laid my paper down, I got grabbed big rocks. I may take a chance of busting windows, I didn't care. I was making war, I was going to kill something today. That dog scared me, intimidated me, made me nervous. I grabbed those rocks. I come around that place, throw it up there. That dog took off a running. And the Lord said, if you'll resist the devil, if you will resist intimidation, if you will resist that, it will flee from you. You gotta get some fight.
to those fears, you're going to die. Die. You may be seated. Everybody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got to know what will live and what should die. Now listen, some of us, we, we run up against things and we back away in prayer. We back away in altar services. We take a good feeling as a confirmation. You're not right because of what God does for you. Huh? God delivered Samson. He spent the night with a harlot. You're not right on how much you're blessed. You're right on how right. So you have to learn some things has to die. It's not easy to kill some things. But it's got to die. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, and even fasting. Appetites, lust, indifference, carnality. It must die. It's got to die. And so you have to come up with this, with this courage and with this stamina in prayer that this has to die. It will ultimately destroy me. And then some things you look at, it must live. And Brother Fielder this morning talking about prayer. Nothing that a church will ever do beyond obedience to truth is pray. The greatest thing a church can do is pray. The greatest people of any church are the praying people. You can walk into a church, let somebody sneak in tonight, destroy and take the keyboards, cut the sound system, haul it all off, and take it down here to Paul's Pawn Shop, get rid of it. Tomorrow morning when we come back, we'll have a struggle. But we'll balance out, and about an hour later, we'll be having church again. And we can, we can do it. But you, let something destroy prayer, and faith, and worship. You can add another keyboard, and you can add more sound, and you can put another set of drums in here. It's not going to matter because it's not done by might nor by power but it's by my spirit says uh, the Lord of hosts it's done on the power of God and God's power is activated by prayer and by faith if you're willing to pray and if you're willing to believe God is willing to release his power in this congregation let me say this to you prayer Prayer is not designed to change the mind of God. Don't pray with the mentality, I'm changing God's mind. He already wants to bless you. He already wants to pour His Spirit out. He already wants to give you revival. He wants to give you a church. He wants to give you land. He wants to save your community. You're not asking God to change His mind. You are appropriating the mind and the will of God to come down and to do that. Prayer is not designed to make God good. God is good if you never pray. You may never pray the rest of your life. God is good if you never pray. Prayer reaches out and gets a hold of that goodness and brings it right down to your life. Ladies and gentlemen, if you remember nothing...
Gentlemen, if you remember nothing I say today, remember this. What makes prayer so valuable? Why devil, demons, and, de and, and hell hates it so much is prayer invokes the greatest power known in the world today. When you pray, you invoke a power greater than you, greater than the church, greater than the flesh, greater than hell, greater than the devil. You invoke a power greater than anything the world has ever known. You lay hold to a God. When let me hurry. Well, I am hurrying. Let me slow down. Getting too old, this rough life. <laughs> Got to be a better way to make a living. I think every church ought to pray. There ought to be, this is computer language. I mean, the computers. Got into them three weeks ago. Can't type. My son's with me. He's a, he's a, he's a computer whiz. He's been tied in with the mark of the beast for years. I'm just getting into it. But he said, Dad, you need a computer. So we found one on sale, got rebates, set it up. I can't type. Didn't know how to turn. Don't know how to turn it on. My daughter, nineteen, she comes in, turns it on. Then they hooked up a program where I just talk. Wake up, Mike, and the mic sets up. I say, go to sleep, Mike. Goes to sleep, and that's how we operate. And I start talking. It says, "Pardon me." I was asked some time ago, do you use quick verse? I use quick paper. I just write it down and go. Praise God. And I said all of that to say something else and I forgot what it was that I was going to say. When I said that, everybody say praise God. Oh boy, I got to rewind here. Just went Everybody say praise God. You are living in a day where there is a constant assault. And you've got to decide. Do I have what it takes to kill? Saul. Kill Agag. Agag was an Amalekite. Amalekite was from the Amalekites. The grandson of Esau. Flesh. He spared the best of what God hated. He spared the flesh. And Samuel said, the Lord has cut you off from him. Flesh cut him and God apart. There was a man of the household of Saul named Doeg, who was an Edomite flesh. He was over his herd. He was his herd's chief herdsman. He was the one in the temple when, in the house of God when David was in there. And then he come tell Saul that I saw them helping David. And Saul gathers the priest together and said, why would y'all be friends with my enemy? What would you do this for? And they said, we're, we're not your enemy. David is not your enemy. None of these 
We're not your... And he said, you are. You will die. And he looked at the soldiers, fall on the priest. And they said, not so. We can't... Doeg said, I'll do it. I will. Doeg, the flesh, destroyed the ministry. Now we have two difficulties. First, the flesh separated him from God. Now it has separated him from the ministry. And then we find Saul a little bit later, wounded. And someone comes by, lifts the crown from his head and rams the spear into him and let him fall over. And he comes to David and said, here's the, the crown I give you. David said, where did you get the crown? It was on the head of Saul. I saw he was wounded. I saw he could not live. I lifted it from his head and I slew him. And he said, who are you? Oh, I am an Amalekite. Flesh. When flesh lives in the life of a minister, his wife, his family, his church, his congregation, it always comes between him and God, him and the ministry, and ultimately destroys him. You have to take appetites, jealousy, rebellion, resentment, indifference, anti-prayer, anti-revival, complaining. You have to take all of that. Because it is designed to destroy you. It's not designed to be your friend. It is designed to get between you and God, you and the ministry, and ultimately bring you down. Every once in a while, you just got to have one of those altar services. I've had to take myself and say, W-E-D, you have been so prayerless lately and so lazy. You are not fit to do miracles, to be blessed, to be used. Get yourself down and have a killing. You have to do it. David knew what should die. He knew what should live. The lion should die. The bear should die. Goliath should die. Abishai said, let's kill Saul. Let me do it. I'll fasten him to the ground. David said, uh-uh, we can't do that. No. We can't do that. And he said, I'm going to kill Nabal. And the man's wife chased David down. Don't, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And David said, Blessed be the Lord God for this day. You have kept my hand back. I would have killed the wrong one. I must kill what should be killed. I must let live what should be left to live and encourage life into that. Let me go one step farther and I'll move to another point and I'll be out of your way. Listen carefully. Haman put a death sentence over the people of God. Now mark this statement. Flesh has a death sentence over every man of God. It's just a matter of time. But there was a lady, Esther by name, who walked before the king with such dazzling beauty. And he said, Woo! You're a knockout. I'll give you something up to half the kingdom. What do you want up to half the kingdom? Now that's no small matter because the kingdom of Persia covered 
thousands and thousands of square miles. It had 127 provinces. It had thousands of roads. It had gold and silver coins. It had an education and political system. And so when he said, I will give you half the kingdom, he was offering to her half of a massive empire. And she said, no, I'm not interested in the kingdom. I want Haman. I want to hang him. I want to destroy Haman. He's put a sentence over the people of God. I want him dead. I want him out. I want him gone. We want to kill the flesh that we may live. Ladies and gentlemen, doubt, unbelief, fear, intimidation hangs over every child of God. If you're ever offered materialism, say no and say, I'm going after the flesh. The flesh cannot live. It's an assault. It's a front against revival, against faith. It's my flesh that doesn't want to worship. It's my flesh that doesn't want to believe. It's my flesh that doesn't want to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to believe. I'm going to get rid of the flesh. The flesh must die. Now, my last point. The third mark, feature, identity of a man of God is this. Everybody ready? Set up. Say amen. Yeah. We ready. Say it. We ready. All right. He knows his source of strength. Huh? Saul never knew where to get strength from. David told the giant, you come to me with what you got, and I know how much your spear weighs, the shield weighs, the armor weighs. I know how much it weighs. But in God, God never weighs things. All the weapons that God weighs are either carnal or mighty. So it did not bring any fear to David. He said, I've come to you in the name of the Lord. This was the second thing David said. When he got before Saul, Saul said, but he's been a man of war from his youth up. You're not able to take him on. And David said, but, but your servant one time tied in with a lion. And your servant one day, I got tied in with a bear. And the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is the same God that would deliver me from the hand of the giant. So I know where my strength is. It's in the name of the Lord. If I say his name. His power. Incredible power. But then one more thing that brought the giant down. And Saul said, here, let me try this armor. Let's put all this armor on. And it don't work for you. Why should I use it? It's not working for you. Now, the thing about David was this. The Bible said that David's elder three brothers followed Saul. Well, they picked up his mentality. They had that giant-dominated mentality. The Bible said, but David went the other way to the fields. Well, David, he gets this God-dominated mentality. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Though a host encamp about me. In this will I be confident. Now Saul's afraid. And David's three brothers, same mom, same dad, same blood. But their mentality had been affected by a backslid, wayward, coward king. But David is out there having his mind uh, dominated by the power, by the word. The Lord is great. The Lord is good. Mighty is our God. Great is our God. And greatly to be praised. And so while his brothers and Saul is building up this attitude about the giant, David's over here building his up about God. Have I got anybody want to witness? Just a little amen, a little hallelujah. And so when David got ready to go meet the giant, the Bible said he went into the brook. And in the brook, there was a flowing. 
face down. Oh, yeah. That's good. That'll do it. Oh, yeah. That's good. That'll do it. And he moves his hand through the flowing of the water. And he starts gathering what he needs to take on his giant. And he picks up five smooth stones. The marked feature of every man, woman, church of God understands that their success is not what they can borrow from the carnal, from the backslid, from the wayward, from the disenchanted, from those out of touch. They're going to use the name, they're going to use the power, and they're going to get into the flow of the Spirit. There are gifts, there are rocks, there are things that will bring revival, that will bring healing, that will bring a move of God to a congregation of the people of the Lord. If you do not pray, if you do not get into the Spirit, then you're going to have to go out here and hunt up something that people that not even working for Saul, you don't even need to put it on. What you need is to find an altar as a pastor, as a wife, as a family. Find a place and start moving into the Spirit. Uh, um, we have so many concepts that are so off base. We believe if we've got enough power, we can do anything. The fact is, we have enough power, but the issue is not power, it's faith. He never said if you have power, you can move a mountain. If you've got power, you can move a tree. He never said that. He said if you've got faith, I will move the mountain. And I can move a tree. It's never an issue of power. It's an issue of faith. When I come, will I find faith? There's people believe that the more human energy you got, the greater power you can have. Human energy never converts to divine power. Human energy is not enough. You can't convert it to divine power. But there is a divine power that is activated by the power of a man believing the Word of God. Bible said you shall lay your hands on the sick. They didn't say you lay your hands on them, knock them down, calisthenics, karate chop. It didn't even say you pray. Just lay your hands on the sick. If you've got faith, they shall recover. Because faith activates, gives power, gives, gives activity. I thought young ministers tell me. Say, Brother Davis, I put my hand on someone, prayed, nothing happened. That's not true. You're saying since it didn't get any farther than your hand, nothing happened. You can't help that. When you put your hand on someone, I know it goes from there to here to here to there. Now when it hits your mind what you do, I can't help that. I have the confidence. When I put my hand on somebody, something's... Yeah, something's going to happen. You hear me right now? I believe every man of God, if you'll have faith and have a touch of God, you can have the gifts of the Spirit. They're out there in the flowing of the Spirit. They're moving. They're there. You reach out. They're there. They're, you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be conquered. You don't have to be overcome. It's not so. God give us power. It's in this church. Faith.
Quench not the spirit, despise not, prophesy, rejoice evermore. The gifts, the gifts of the spirit are here. They're in the church. Just move in the spirit. You may be seated. You can pick it up. I was asked to speak. I was asked to speak at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. It's a large Baptist college. I was asked by Dr. Sheridan to speak to the theological class on Pentecostalism. And he asked me to speak for about 20, 30 minutes and answer questions from the audience for 30 minutes, which I did. And I, uh, this was my third time to be there. And so... Um, I gave my 20 to 25 minute lecture on the Pentecostal concept from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 all the way till today. I explained that we're a non-Trinitarian group, that we do not believe that the Holy Spirit baptism outpouring began in the 19th century or the turn of the century, but it began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the church, Acts chapter 2 verse 38, well 2 and 1 then 38 for the promise. So after I went through that, then all of a sudden the questions come. Mr. Davis, what do you think about the Bible? Is it God's Word or not? Yes, it's God's inspired Word. All the translations may not be, but God's original context Word is inspired by the Spirit. Infallible, it is right. You can believe it. Mr. Davis, what do you think about tongues? Do you believe in tongues? Yes, I believe in tongues. Acts 2, tongues is for the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, tongues is uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, their personal devotion. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, albeit he speaks in the Spirit of mysteries. No man understands him. He's talking to God. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. Yes, I believe in tongues. They're for us today. You said earlier that you was a non-Trinitarian believer in the God. What do you mean by that? I said, I mean that there is only one God who is spirit. John 4, 24. That God was manifest in flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That God was manifest in one person. 2 Corinthians 2 and 10. Paul said, who I gave? I forgave in the person, person, person of Jesus Christ. The only person of the Godhead was Jesus Christ. She said, well, what died on the cross? What died on the cross was what was born in the manger. If it was born, it died. If it was not born, it did not die. And what was not born in the manger was God. So God did not die, but what died was flesh. There is one God who is spirit, omnipresent, who is everywhere, fills this world. He's in this place right now. Everybody can have God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. said, so then when you believe in baptism, do you believe? I say, I believe in baptism. John 3 and 5, born again of water and spirit. Baptism is both the birth, birth and a burial. Romans 6, 3 and 4, we're buried with Christ by baptism. John 3, we're buried or we're baptized as a birth. And then John, Romans 3 and 4, we're buried. I had to speak so fast. They had 28, 29 questions in 30 minutes. One per minute. I was spitting them out as fast as I could get it. I said, your baptism and Jesus' baptism has nothing in common. His was a ceremonial act into the priesthood. You are to identify with him in burial. He was buried we're buried he rose we rise by the power of the holy spirit baptism and for 30 minutes i was able to explain to them the entire panoramic view of the word of god the new testament and the doctrine of jesus christ ladies and gentlemen this is the only message galatians 1 neither is there any other god nor the gospel than the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ this is the only gospel no other That's right. Paul said the we by the angel Moroni. No other gospel than death, burial, and resurrection. You may be seated. And then Dr. Sheridan said, Mr. Davis, may I respond? He 
said, ladies and gentlemen, Reverend Davis is of a Pentecostal group. This was tremendous. That is not a newcomer or they're not, quote, closet Pentecostals. They are the original group. They've always believed in holiness, godliness, and the manifestation of of perfected principles. Am I correct, Reverend Davis? Yes, you are. And he said, then I understand that you do not believe you are perfect, but that you can strive and attain certain levels of perfection. Yes, you are right. He said, uh, so Mr. Davis is not of just those new ones who talk in tongues and live differently. These people are from the original group of the apostolic tongue-talking people in the world. And then he said one more thing, and this is what I'm going to close on. He said, Mr. Davis, in my research, I have noticed you don't have black or just white or rich or poor or young and old. You seem to have somebody from every group. What is your secret? I said, our secret is everybody ought to know who Jesus is, ought to have the Holy Ghost, ought to hear our message. We believe the whole world is our field to evangelize, and whoever will listen, we will preach this blessed gospel. We believe we ought to tell the whole world. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Everybody ought to experience. Come on, everybody ought to just don't ever let anybody tell you. Don't ever let anybody tell you the difference between us and the Trinitarian concept is how you say it. That is not true. It's how you believe it. Except you believe that I am He. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, here is, for the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Huh? Jeremiah 23, 24, do not I, the Lord God, fill heaven and earth, I'm omnipresent. Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Son, what made in heaven made of a woman, went through the womb, made of the woman, made of the woman, but what indwelt the Son was the everlasting Father, the mighty God, and the Prince of Peace. I was then asked, if you believe in Jesus' name, baptism only as sufficient for baptism, and He's got many names, uh, why don't you use other names? Well, it's rightly so. El Shaddai, Elohim, Adonai, these are His names. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, Shalom, uh, Shalom, Shishkin, you, we know all of these are His names. But Acts 4 and 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. There's only one name that's been brought down for the salvation and remission of sins. And that is the name that God has highly exalted of Philippians 2 and 9. And God has given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus Christ. You can't shout over that. Your shouter don't work. At the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. Oh, this is a day to have revival. Come on, clap your hands. This is a day. This is a day to have a great move of God. Come on, receive the word. Stand to your feet and receive the word. In your heart, in your heart, in your heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank Brother Bill Davis for making Georgia for the Word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Doesn't he just make you feel proud to be apostolic, to believe this Bible and the Word of God? Clap your hands to the
been personally blessed if you've never heard Bill Davis preach before do you now know why they call him the preacher's preacher the fantastic person and we're so glad he could be here well I got a few little things to tell you before we turn this next great man of God loose brother Mike Chance and he's getting ready to preach for us all the way from San Antonio Texas and he is another one of our so very talented preachers in the Pentecostal movement. You know, we apostolics are really blessed because we have so many great preachers around the country. And when we have an opportunity to put together a conference like this and um, just sit and enjoy for several days preaching, it just, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we want to thank all the sponsors and the committee that makes this happen these men that sponsor this meeting, we don't hear from them uh, very often during the meeting, but it's because...